Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Tuesday afternoon up in Ames, Iowa, the Jacobson Building overlooking Jack Trice Stadium. Just got done with Matt Campbell's press conference, uh, his first weekly press conference of the 2021 season ahead of the season opener on Saturday against Northern Iowa at 3.30 p.m. here in Ames. Uh, we'll have all of Matt Campbell's press conference coming up later on in the podcast here in about 15, 20 minutes. But I uh, wanted to bring you in Rob Gray, talk a little bit about some of the things we've got coming here this week at Cyclone Fanatic, talk a little bit about the press conference, give some of our thoughts. Uh, what's up, man? How's it going? Going well. Going well. I'm uh, excited to be out here. I noticed when we were looking over the, the beautiful stadium here, Jack Trice Stadium, that they had a mock score up there, and it said Iowa State 81, Northern Iowa 0. That would be quite a shift for a season opener, wouldn't it? Well, I'm going to go on on a limb and say that that would be a, a a margin of victory record in school history. I believe so. To win 81 to 0. Now, just so nobody gets too excited, like it could be a harbinger of anything to come, it also said there were 16 minutes and 9 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So, <laughs> it made it clear this is fantasy land we're talking about. And certainly in season openers, uh, to get a breeze of a season opener... Uh, it doesn't happen very often for the Cyclones. Right, and that's going to be one of the things that you're focused on um, this week here as we kind of get going. I mean, it's just it, Iowa State has rarely had anything not be weird in the season opener since Matt Campbell has been here. Uh, obviously, you go back to his first season, the, the loss to Northern Iowa in uh, in the season opener. Um, then actually the next year was probably the closest that they've been to a relatively you know not stressful season opener where they you know kind of beat up on the Panthers in that game um and then the the following year in 2017 is the wait which one is that the 2018 yeah in 2018 is the rained out game Lightning. 2019 we have the trip or have the overtime game with Northern Iowa <laughs> and then obviously last year the, the game against Louisiana and, and you know I'm interested just to see, and we talked. I talked a little bit to, to Chase Allen about this uh, after the press conference. I'm interested just to see how, you know, he talked about them trying to find their identity kind of early in those seasons. And while they had brought a lot of guys back from all of those teams, there were still enough key pieces that were needed to be replaced, especially along the offensive and maybe not as much defensive line, some, some to an extent to the defensive line, but really in the offensive line, the receiving core, the uh, running back room. I mean, that is not going to be an excuse for this team this year with the guys that they bring back at, at really every level on both sides of the football. Like you shouldn't – obviously you have some people to replace, some key people to replace, but for the most part, this identity is pretty set of what this team is, is going to be best at. And I'm interested to see how that can carry over now where you don't have to have maybe some of that buffer time of building up into uh, into the season. No question. No question. And, uh, you know, Coach Campbell, you know, reiterated what he's always said is, you know, you find out when, you know, when the lights come on, you find out what you've really got. Um, and in the past, that's been good in a lot of areas. And it's like, well, this may be one thing we didn't anticipate or this thing. It's going to be something we got to shore up right away. Um, and they've done it. I mean, they've, you know, all those seasons, you, know, you think about almost using, losing to you and I two years ago, and, and Brock Purdy recovers a fumble. Sheldon Crony redeems himself with a touchdown in overtime to, to, to win it. Um, look at what happened after that in most of the season. You know, it, 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 they, they find ways to turn that expedition of sorts of week one into some very successful seasons, some of the most successful in school history. So, uh, like you said, though, this is a season that if, if you really are going to contend for the playoff, you can't. You can't it, have that. No, you can't have it even be tense. It can be, hey, there was sloppy in, sloppy in some areas. And you and I, especially as a strong team defensively, which they've always been and, and certainly showed that in their spring season. And, you know, when you're strong up front and you're strong in the back end, that's, that's a tough test for your offense. Now this offense has a lot of weapons and it's balanced. So you should be able to say, okay, that's a good defense. Mm -hmm. So what? We're a really good offense and we're going we're gonna to roll over it. But uh, I don't think score matters to, to Coach Cam. What did he say when somebody asked a question? You could tell he was a little bit kind of like – I don't really like the the tone of that question. He said, "I'm not out here to impress anyone." Yeah, that's it. Was 
Well, yeah, I think the question was basically when you're trying to make the playoff, what do you need to do? How do you score style points or something yeah, like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, and that's just, that's just not going not gonna to fly with Coach Campbell. Yeah. But, um, he talked about how it's fun for us to write about and all these yeah, things, yeah. And, I, and I wanted to reply. It's, it, it's fun. more fun when you win, Yeah, generally. yeah. We, we don't, so yeah, if you want us to have fun, just win. Yeah, but. Like, you said, like you said, in terms of uh, you know, the so-called uh, negative recruiting that might take place if, right. with the Big 12 and Flex, it's like, we win. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's OB. We'll, we win, right? And uh, and all that. But I just asked some some of the guys, and you know, they just talked about how crazy some of those things are. And then, you know, our our friend Randy Peterson over at the Register was asking about the adjustment of playing to a full house. I mean, and and you know, Brock talked about just how exciting that would be, and he probably remembered running out, you know, let alone playing. He wasn't playing, but ran ran out the first time here, and it's probably going to feel a little bit like that after mm-hmm. last season where yes it filled out a little bit you had limited seating friends family all that stuff and, and some things but um i don't know excited but uh don't put too many too much stock into what happens week one because right. as the cyclones have shown uh it's not usually indicative of of what they can and almost always do become right and I, one thing I, that coach campbell said that i thought was actually interesting because i think it kind of goes against what you know, Jeff and I have talked about this quite a bit on football and running things and thing, you know, and I think you hear other people talk about what the impact of the FCS teams having played that spring season will be. Um, in my mind, and I understand where Coach Campbell was coming from this, where he talked about how he felt like that maybe was an advantage having played games so recently. I guess in my mind, I don't know that I necessarily see it that way because of the lack of a ramp up a ramp down period back into the ramp up period like you kind of the season ends and it's you get like a couple weeks and then you got to start going again to yeah. get ready to play again there's not gonna be recovery time really for injuries and things like that so like I don't necessarily agree with them I thought that it was interesting though to hear him say that how you know they should already be in rhythm because they played a game even though it was almost four months ago now yeah yeah it's um I I think we have to go back to what Campbell and, and now his senior players have always said is it's not about them it's about us mm-hmm. and while we're always interested in you and I because you know Mark Farley's been there a long time he usually gets them in the playoffs usually um, outside of a weird season and it's usually a team that is coach Campbell alluded to is is tough to put away they find ways to stay in games even, even the years if, when they haven't been that good they're you know they'll lose to North Dakota State by a touchdown yeah and there there might be one game where they kind of got blown out to, to one of their Missouri Valley football conference opponents just because I don't know they turned it over five times right. or something but again that's the hallmark of, of, of a program that, that hangs its hat on defense and on fundamentals and and that's why it's such a good test again. But, uh, yeah, I, what type of – they'll certainly have more rhythm because they have an offensive coordinator that's been in place for, for a little while now. Um, Familiar to Iowa State fans, Mr. Sean Watson. Shout out. Yeah. It's, uh, not, not necessarily happy memories of Mr. Sean Watson, but you – know, Sure, sure are for but, Cyclones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the I just – I don't know what to expect from that Northern Iowa offense. I mean – I feel like it's not that much to say they'll probably be better because they were pretty freaking bad in the spring. Yeah, and they're and, and they're like there's their offensive coordinator had left like right before the season started. You know, your starting quarterback missed two games because of COVID. Uh, I think they had some people to replace. You lose Spencer Brown, who was going to be your starting left tackle and was going to be, you know, kind of the. Uh, a, I mean, a, a foundational piece yep. for you. He obviously goes to the NFL. Yep. But, I mean, they're, they're still going to have a, an NFL-type offensive tackle in Trevor Penning. Uh, they're, you know, you're going to bring back Will McIlvain. Uh, from what I listened to on Mark Farley's press conference yesterday, they had not named a starter yet. They had narrowed it down to McIlvain and uh, Michigan State transfer Theo Day. I would be really surprised if it's not McIlvain based on the way that Coach Farley was talking, to be completely honest. Um but, you know, he gave Iowa State some trouble that last time around when they came here in 2019. It was his first career start. I don't remember if he was a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, but, you know, he had a really a really nice game, threw for over 200 yards and was pretty efficient. With, did, did a nice, job with, feet, say, did a nice yeah. job with his feet. And he, he didn't necessarily run for a ton of yards, but he was effective in what he yep. was able to do and keeping plays alive. Um, I mean, they're going to present some challenges in those – 
in those ways, even if the numbers don't look overly impressive or anything like that. They've got some guys that you know once things can come together that you know they can probably give some teams some trouble offensively. Yeah, I mean they're always going to get some pieces. I mean they're still a, a, and they've got a, a running back that transferred in from Kansas that I know that they people really like too. Yeah, I mean they do such a good job of recruiting not only some some people in the state that maybe get a little bit overlooked. Prime example, David Johnson, mm-hmm. back right. in the day, ran rough shot who, over the Cyclones. Who, who Coach Farley said uh, Brees Hall reminds him of. Yeah, of. yeah, and if only David could stay healthy in the NFL, right? Yeah. I mean, had that breakout season and all that. But they get guys, and they're really good at recruiting Minneapolis and, and Kansas City, and you know, just enough in the JUCO ranks, and again, the transfers you talked about, that it's highly unlikely they're going to have an offense that's anywhere near as. Inept. Oh, I say un- yeah, inept. I was going to say unproductive, but inept is a, is a good way of putting it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, you know, they'll challenge you. And, and like Coach Campbell said, and we've talked about, that's a good thing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, as good as Iowa State's defense is in all three phases, Got to think it's going to be really tough sledding. Unless if, if McIlvain, as he showed, I mean, if it's third and seven and he can get seven and a half yards, mm-hmm. that'll you know do a lot for them. But I think inside you know, that red zone, I mean, Iowa State's going to be stingy there all year, and yeah. uh, you know. We'll see what happens, but uh, I mean, I don't I, see big plays happening against that defense. I think that if you're a FCS team who has not, who did not have a very good offense the last time you were playing games, and you're just looking to get some sort of rhythm, Iowa State is probably one of the last teams that you yep. would want to play. Yeah, exactly. To be frank, to be frank about it, I mean, this is not. I, I don't see Iowa State's defense being a team that a lot of people are like. Well, let's go out and try some new things today. Yeah. You know, like this is where you kind of got to have your bread and butter because you know that yards just are going to be at a premium, realistically. You know, yards and points with this defense just as over the last five years have have not come easily. And I don't that's not in any way my concern. I don't think that that's going to be a major issue unless it's a situation where the offense is. Iowa State's offense is making mistakes, special teams is making mistakes, giving them short fields, putting them in, um, you know, ideal situations or quick turnaround situations for the defense where they're, you know, can get a three and out and, or you, and then you fumble or something like that and you got to go right back on the field. But that's really the only way that I think Northern Iowa's offense would scare me as a fan coming into this game. I am intrigued to see the matchup of Iowa State's offensive line, which we've heard so much about. We saw last year how much improvement that that group has made. And, you know, now with all the veterans coming back, you can kind of assume that that will continue. Uh, going up against the Northern Iowa defensive line, that is, I mean, if you're looking for a strength of this team, that's the far and away strength is mm-hmm. that front seven. Uh, Jared Brinkman was the Missouri Valley Football Conference Defensive Player of the Year last year. Really disruptive along that de- uh, as a defensive lineman there for the Panthers. Uh, they bring back some linebackers that I know that they are, are all conference type of players. Um, that's going to be a good challenge for Brees Hall in this offensive line to, you know, when you've got Iowa coming the next week, we know what the Hawkeyes are always going to present in that sense of being able to stop the run. Northern Iowa is going to be able to do the same thing. This is not going to be something where you roll the balls out and it's like, all right, Brees, you're running for 200 today. Yeah. You know, you and I is going to make it tough on people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, don't sleep on that back end either. I mean, they got a legacy and in, in, in a, a sap. They got a sap back there. Yeah, what's his name? Benny Sap, right? The either the third or yeah, uh, Benny Sap the third. Benny, I think, yeah. you know, spent some time in the NFL after he had to transfer over to you and I covered him over there. And that's how old you are, man. That uh, that Benny Sap the third is here now after you covered his dad. Yeah, so that means I've got institutional do you knowledge. Old? Do you feel old? Of course I do. <laughs> um, I'm just giving you shit. Man. But uh, knock on wood, no major injuries in my life, so. You know, still pretty spry. Right, right. For an out of shape, fifty-two-year-old man, a grizzled veteran. Right. But I mean, they just—they, you're completely right about that. I mean, you, you know, you better execute the best that you can, and and you need to do that every time. I mean, that's not—I mean, it's not a great revelation, but you can get away with things if, say, Western Illinois comes to town, probably. And who knows what they have this year. But usually the Leathernecks are, are kind of an also-ran in the MVC. You know, or, you know. You, I'm sure that all the Western Illinois another, fans listening to the podcast are very offended. going to be angry. Our friend John Bonencamp might yeah, be yeah. disgusted, although he doesn't really. But uh, after covering them for so long, how he was in their camp. Yeah, I um, saw that. Um, years ago. But uh, it's, 
again, it, it is the it is the perfect test. And man, to, I just can't imagine what it's going to be like in game day. Just uh, to, to be essentially normal, and we're going to be basically almost normal, I mm-hmm. think, for many many months in terms of what you do. You masked up in the press box and all that, and everything else societally. But it, it, it's just. Tying it all together from the weirdness to the matchup and, and, and digging into that, it's just great to be here. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely is, man. Um, last thing I wanted to, to touch on really quick, uh, something I thought that was interesting that Coach Farley talked about yesterday was the importance of these games, not only when Northern Iowa plays Iowa State, but when they play Iowa as well, you know, they kind of rotate back and forth playing the Panthers. Just the importance of this for football in the state. and. I, you know, I think that that's something that Coach Campbell recognizes um, and has put a onus on, I guess, inside the program of reminding people like, hey, this is a rivalry game. Whether you, you know, even though they're FCS and even though you might think like, oh, we're FBS, we're Power Five, like it's not even the same competition, that thing. But they're gonna, you're going to get their best shot. You know, this is a, a huge game for Northern Iowa every year. And it's obviously a huge validator for what their program is for them to come in and beat whether it's Iowa or Iowa State, whatever, to come in and play tough with those teams or to beat them, which they've done a handful of times. And uh, I, I just think that that's crucial. You know, Even though you've got all these veteran guys that played against Northern Iowa, Chase Allen was on the team that lost to Northern Iowa in 2016, but no one inside of that football building is going to be looking past Northern Iowa or anything like that because they know full well what – they're going to be walking into on Saturday, even with a full crowd and all those things, and knowing that you've got all these people at your back, like that team over there is not going to be scared of you at all. Absolutely. I mean, in a strange way, it comes full circle. I mean, how big was it when Chase Allen was recruited here and then got hit by a car or truck, whatever yeah. it was? Yeah. And then and, got, what did he have, mono or something? Yeah, yeah. And then and then he sees, yeah, he sees his team, his dad coached for a long time. Yeah. Great Terry coached to some great uh, seasons come in and, and beat his Cyclones. I tour, Terry spent some time on staff here yeah. uh, as well. But but And now here we are back at UNI. Chase's younger brother plays for the Panthers yep. now. Yeah, yeah. He was talking a little bit. Uh, he was one of the folks uh, made available to the media and talking a little bit about how much uh, he really wants to be able to get a little bit of bragging rights after, right. you know, under, you know, they did get the nice, like, comfortable win, whatever, 42-24 in 2017, uh, but then, you know, just barely beat him in 2019, and, and here we are. I mean, it just, you, it is good for the state. I mean, to be honest, it's much more exciting for, from a fan standpoint to be facing an in-state school where you know they have, and they have players that people followed as really good high school players, too. I mean, it's just, it's just a different sensation than, you know, Southern Utah coming in or Sacramento State. Or Fordham. Yeah. Like the Cornhuskers sh- will play this weekend. Andrew Mevis. Huh? Andrew. Yeah, well, yeah, Andrew Mevis. Yeah, well, I'm sure Fordham's really going to take a major dip after as losing. As many touchbacks as he has. I was going to say, like losing someone who's able to kick it through That's the end zone. That's another thing we're going to We, we learned the value of kicking it through the end zone. So. I remember just how astonished I was when I dug into the numbers and saw that Iowa State was like better than, like I don't know what it was, eight or ten FBS schools in terms of uh, touchback percentage. They were better than eight? But they were far and away the worst Power Five. Or there might have been one Power Five that was down there, too. Well, Nebraska's been pretty yeah. bad in that, too, so it probably was them. Uh, but, I mean, just the schools that were barely behind them. And just to think of it, that, well, that was the one thing that statistically they were really, really, really bad in. And you hear him talk about it, it's going to be a touchback every time. So I want to say they were, like, in the second percentile in uh, kickoff yards allowed. Like kickoff return yards allowed or something. There was like three teams that allowed more kickoff return yards than yeah. Iowa State, and it was like on twice as many kickoffs. <laughs> like they were allowing two times as many touchdowns and field goals as what Iowa State was, wow. but Iowa State was still using, allowing just as many kickoff returns. I think yeah. if they could if they could cut that number in half, yeah, Iowa State probably wins two more games. Yeah, <laughs> I mean realistically. Yeah, I mean the, the, it's it's going to be a huge. Huge. I mean, if again, as yeah. Coach Campbell said when he was asked about, especially, you, know, you got to see. Right. But they certainly like. Right. Andrew Mavis has never kicked in front of sixty thousand people. Exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting, man. It'll be fun. Um, we're gonna have a lot of good stuff here coming on Cyclone Fanatic throughout the rest of the week. I think Todd and Brent, uh, Todd and Brett are 
Well, I told him to record Tuesday nights. We'll see if that actually happens. Sometimes those guys are kind of loose cannons. You know Todd and Brett. Oh, yeah. Rob, they're a little unpredictable sometimes. But uh, hopefully we'll have that, that here soon um, in the next couple days. Action Fanatics, I think we'll have Thursday morning. Cyclone Fanatic Radio. Uh, I got to get our good friend, someone we both have immense respect for, the voice of the Panthers, Gary Rima. Going to try and get him on the, the show Thursday night to come on and talk about Northern Iowa. And, uh, man, hanging it up, hanging up the headset after many years as the voice of, uh, of Northern Iowa football and, looking, and, and basketball too. But So looking forward to talking to him. But um, you'll have a bunch of great stuff here coming up in the next couple of days. Chris is going to have a column hopefully tonight or tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have a uh, should be fun, man. Looking we'll have forward some stuff from coordinators. Uh, yeah, coordinators. Are, we'll talk to the coordinators <laughs> tomorrow night as well. I'll probably post those on the podcast feed uh, late in the evening. Uh, I think that those interviews start. I think we got a range of like four fifteen to five, so it might be you know late evening by the time that I'm able to get those up. But they should be ready for everybody on Thursday. So, uh, ton of good stuff, man. We've been uh, had probably our best month that we've ever had on the podcast feed this this past month. Fifty five thousand uh, unique listeners. So doing a great job, and we're gonna have a lot of great stuff for everybody. And uh, hopefully everybody's looking forward to a, a fun season. Absolutely. Thanks, bud. We'll talk to you again soon. Yep, talk soon. We'll throw it to Coach Campbell now with uh, the entirety of his press conference from Ames this morning. You know, I, I think from my end, obviously, um, I, I would just say this as we get started with the season from my own standpoint with our own team, just a, a sincere appreciation from January on. This group has done a great job in terms of really a deep dive in getting better and growth. And, you know, I, I know from my end, we're excited to get the football season going. Um, you know, certainly a ton of respect for Coach Farley. Um, this UNI team's a, a very veteran team like us in a lot of ways, really talented in critical areas, and I think it'll be a great challenge for us. So, uh, Randy, if you want to get started, we'll, we'll roll. Yeah, Matt, last night on the radio show, you said, I think I got this somewhat close, that um, John asked you about the fans coming back to the stadium, 61,000 strong or whatever it is, and you said it could take some time for your guys to get used to that. That was interesting to me. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think that's a very, uh, you know, I think it'll be a really unique dynamic this fall and, and not just for Iowa State football. I think, you know, holistically across the board, you know, one thing last year when there weren't fans in the stands, I think that was a whole new dynamic. But you almost learned to appreciate the game in its own sense where you took the emotion out of it from the fan standpoint of it and you, you almost got down to football in the backyard again a little bit and you realize that you create your own momentum. And I think sometimes the mirage of a fan base, the mirage of game day experience, um, you know, is is a thing. And you have to realize it's a thing, but it's also a mirage. It really doesn't dictate the outcome of the game. You dictate the outcome of the game as the players. And so I just think there'll be a heightened sense of energy. There'll be a heightened sense of emotion that will be created from, you know, a fan base and, and the energy of a crowd. And I think adapting to that and not letting that overtake your performance, I think, is a big thing and something we've certainly talked about. And, you know, it's your preparation and your detail is going to have to match the energy um, that, that's going to be created by, you know, an ulterior energy that will be created a little bit by a fan base and all the things that come with that. So I, I just think that's a, that's a new thing that we're going to have to be able to adapt back to that it may sound easy, but I think the reality of it for 18 to 22-year-olds, we'll all feel that on Saturday. And I think it's a special feeling, but how do you control it and not let it overtake you? Do you have any superstitions about when you run onto the field that you look up into some place in the stands and, and make sure that person is there all the time or somebody is, is there in the area or I, I think as a coach, no. You know, I, you know, I, I think as a player, certainly probably did that a little bit. But I, you know, I think from my standpoint now in the coaching aspect, no. But you know, I do think trying to find a way to center myself ourselves before the game, I, I do think is really important. And however you do that, everybody's a little bit different. Matt, you mentioned how you, you and I as a very veteran team, and obviously defensively, yeah, that's where they've stood out and stood out against you a couple of years ago. Uh, who on that uh, unit 
impresses you and what about that unit impresses you? You know, I, I think the thing that, that probably impresses me the most is how well they're coached. And, and, and I say that they do so many different things defensively. You know, um, even the evolution of since we played them in 19 to, you know, now who they are in 2021, 20, you know, they've played so many different defenses. And the thing that's so impressive is they're always in the right place where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. And I, I think that to me as much as the who, you know, I, I do. I think they're really talented on the defensive line. You know, they got long athletic corners. Um, you know, the safety position, whether it's a two high safety look or a three high safety look, you know, there's really talented players there. But to me, the most impressive thing, they're always in the right spot. And to be able to be so multiple, and you've heard me talk about that from our end, is multiplicity is the key because it creates confusion. I, I think that's the thing that probably impresses me as much as anything. What has J.R. Singleton done to put himself in a position to start for you guys? Well, I, you know, I, I think Jr. has come with a mindset since January, and he he really flashed at times last fall for us, and I, I was really impressed with his. I think his veteranness approach at such a young age, I think that's one thing I've seen from young, talented players that have put themselves in the opportunity to play early in our, our program is there's a great sense of maturity and how they go about their work. And JR brings that. You know, JR is the man, he's the same guy every day. He's been on a relentless pursuit to become the best version of himself that he can be. And, you know, you, you know what you're going to get from JR Singleton every single day. And I, I think that alone, then you add in his talent, you know, I think he's got a lead athleticism for a big guy. He's certainly got all the tools to be able to run sideline to sideline. Um, and so I, I think from his standpoint, it's the consistency of that approach that he's been able to display so far that's really allowed him to put himself in a great position to help our team be successful. When we talked to you earlier this month, you talked about how as a program climbs up the ladder, you can begin to feel it. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you could describe what that feeling is and what your message to your team is about the rung you're at now. Yeah, you know, I, I think those were things, you know, I, and, and I, I probably would put that as, man, how we felt in 18, 19, 20, you know, and, and I think to me, it's, it's just knowing that the expectations that we have for ourselves in terms of what we've been able to create, who we've been able to come, there's a standard of excellence of how we do everything that is demanded day in and day out. And I think sometimes when you fall short of that, whether it's in the weight room or at the in practice, you you really stick out, and whether that's a global team performance or that's an individual performance, and you know I, I say this a lot in our, our own meeting room is man you can't hide here anymore. You know if if you're not going to do it to the standard, it sticks out, and so um, you know I, I think it's more of that mindset in terms of our day to day approach than it is anything else. And you know I think early on you could kind of hide because it was you know it was easy to talk about it, but it was hard to show that. And now I think it's being shown by some of the top players in our program and what that looks like, what that excellence looks like day in and day out, and you know, really holding those guys accountable to it, but also everybody else in the program. You talk a lot about how the standard is to become the best version of yourself. How, did, how does that get redefined, or how did that get redefined from January to now? Because obviously the best version last year is going to be different than this year, theoretically. Well, you, probably, to, you know, to the to the outside world, maybe I think to the inside world, you know, it, it started back at square one with every one of our individuals, you know, um, you know, how does how does Mike Rose become the best version of himself to how does, you know, a guy like Jared Singleton, who's never played a game for us yet or played a lot of snaps for us yet, become the best version of himself. Everybody, I think that was the one unique puzzle that I had to put together and myself, our staff, our strengths staff is how do how does this team become its best version of us and you've got so many different dynamics you know you got a set of veteran guys that have played a lot of football how do we improve those guys how do those guys take another step forward you know we got a big chunk of guys that have played marginally you know and some guys played with success some guys haven't played with a lot of success how do we get those guys and figure out the consistency and be able to get those guys to play the level of excellence we need and then man there's this whole group of young guys 
guys that haven't played it down yet. How do we get these guys in terms of improvement and growth? And so I, I really think for us, this has been the most unique puzzle that we've had to put together just because you have so many different guys and so many different groups of guys that needed so many different things. And I think that's been the unique challenge, honestly, for, for this football team to come together. And, you know, I think it'll it'll show, man, did we put it together right? Is is it are we on track as we get into the competitive element of the football season and now you you win or lose a football game? Those are the things that are exciting as the coach, but that's been the challenge really in the offseason for myself and our staff. I don't think they've officially named a starter at quarterback yet, but I mean, Will McElvain's back, and he, you guys obviously played against him in 2019. How have you seen him maybe grow and studying him? And what did he do in that game in 2019 that maybe gave you guys some trouble? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think as you know, I'm a Bill, I'm, I'm a huge Will McElvain fan just because I love guys that are competitive excellence. And I, I think the thing that when I watch Will play, he's he's an elite competitor. You know, I, I, I really go back to the 19 season, and you you watch the run that they make through the playoffs, right? I think it's almost the national semifinal game where, you know, he's leading that football team and plays break down. Tough situations come. You you go to that playoff game at South Dakota and uh, South Dakota State, and it's it's an incredible football game. And he makes two critical plays at the end of that football game to continue them in the tournament, you know, and 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 continue playing. And so I think to me, he's what he brings to the table is he's an elite competitor on every play. You know, you watch how he approaches every play, and he's playing every every play to win every single play and to me that's impressive and when the quarterback's got that dynamic that mentality your team feeds off of that and that, he certainly has shown that you know and I, I even last season I mean you know I, I somewhere down the line was out for a little bit I came back that last game they played against North Dakota State he was outstanding I thought he was elite and so um, be, be a great challenge for us just because anytime a quarterback's got that mobility and mentality I think they, that he gives their team a chance to win week in and week out and I think he's shown that really Every game he started, they've had a chance to win that football game. What has uh, Darian Porter done to work himself into a position to play more snaps on Saturdays? And how is he emblematic of that young group you talked about, being excited seeing them out there more? Yeah, you know, I, I think when when I think about that that group at receiver, you know, there's two guys that have really since January made this, I would say, transformational change. And Darian has been one of those guys. Easy Anderson's been one of those guys. And, you know, I, I think both of them have started with how do I become the best version of me? You know, I think both those guys had incredible, incredible January, February, March, April, and May in terms of their physical growth process. You know, I think Easy went from 212 pounds to 230 pounds. You know, uh, Darian Porter, you know, almost up to 200 pounds and a guy that can really run and, and a physical football player. Both guys can play on all four of our special teams almost in every situation and, and bring a unique dynamic. And then I think, again, earning the trust of what they did in all those other areas as camp went on, it was like, Man, we got to. These guys are now earning more reps on the offense, and then all of a sudden, more opportunities became uh, these moments in camp to do something, and they showed up. And so, you know, I, I think for both of those guys, I'm really proud of them. I think both of them have really high ceilings and are just kind of getting started in terms of overall what they can give this football team and this program. On the depth chart, um, kick returner was listed as TBD. I don't think that's a player on your team. So, who are some of those? people competing for that kick returner spot yeah you know I, I think again you know we've talked about guys like Brees has been back there and been able to do some different things for us Xavier has been back there Jalen Knoll's been back there um, you know there, there's a lot of guys back there that you know we feel really confident with the ball in their hand and so you know I, I think that's kind of a you know until you get into the season and see what it is and kind of see where we're at I think that's kind of a revolving door right now until you know we can really get some some live looks at at exactly what that looks like for us. But I think we feel really confident with the guys and the names of that could be back there for us. And then on the offensive line, the right side of the line, both right guard and right tackle, you have three guys, um, Daryl Simmons, Derek Schweiger, and then Derek Schweiger and Remsburg. Yeah. Um, how fluid is that? right side of the line right now and I mean all three of those guys are proven so how confident are you that you'll figure something out there 
Well, I, I think the I'd say there's a lot of fluidity in the entire offensive line right now. You know, I, I think there's a lot of competition. The left side's not nailed down. The right side's not nailed down. I think, you know, you better come to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday if you expect to play on Saturday. And so um, now confident, man, I feel really confident because I think a lot of those guys have earned the right to have that conversation where, you know what, there's eight, nine guys right now that are competing to start on Saturday. And, you know, who's playing? How much are they playing? It's really good to be earned by what they do in practice. Matt, last year was a totally different feel than coming into this week. I mean, can you kind of sum up those differences for you as a head coach? And um, how do you make sure that you guys come out of the gates the right way this year versus what happened last year? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if there's ever a guarantee, you know, because I think, again, the dynamics changed. It's a, it's a total different dynamic. And, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is taking what we learned a year ago. I, I would say the biggest difference is, you know, we there was probably a week and a half period where we didn't know if we were playing or who was playing or who was even able to play for us in preparation for game one. And, you know, at least we knew we know what we're preparing for um, and not so much. I'm talking the opponent piece of it. I'm talking about the man. What are some of these unique challenges that are going to come back from leaving a football season last year to you know entering a football season and, and knowing that the environment's going to be very different than the environment we played in a year ago I, I thought you know I remember thinking last year through the third quarter of the game is what an awkward you almost felt like you were in such an awkward environment and setting and um, you know felt a little bit of you know in my own right of boy I did a poor job of preparing our team for whatever this is because I don't even know what this is you know it felt like for a little while um, but I you know we adapted and we grew and I think that's the thing about a first game every football season you know but I, I do think again your environment's completely different so you better be ready to understand what some of those maybe problems and challenges are and be ready to handle handle it, let alone playing a, a really talented opponent with a, you know, a veteran football coach who, you know, Randy said, it, he's played really good against us. The $90 million building in which we're in right now, was when you came to Iowa State, did this come up in a conversation with you and Jamie or when you did your, I don't know, one of your contract deals, did it come up in, in discussion and beyond that, what does this building show about the commitment that Iowa State's making to you and your program and student athletes as a whole around here? Yeah, you know, the, the first part of it, I, I really, you know, I think after year one, you, you said, man, what are some of the things you need? You, you would hope to catch up. You know, we, we needed a new locker room, you know, and I think really our conversation, Jamie and I's conversation started with, man, how do we create a new locker room? And at Iowa State where, you know, you're, you're in a setting where you'd love to give your kids just some space where they've got the ability to, you know, whether it's a player's lounge or something like that, we, we didn't have any of that. You know, and you got to remember, you know, you're talking five years ago, we didn't even have an, uh, you know, an athletic, you know, feeding our guys program within our walls. And, you know, I think by at that time, probably 90% of football had had some of nutrition plan. And so, you know, I, I think where we're at today is we're catching up to where everybody else has been and is at. And, you know, I, I think from my end of it, you then look at Jamie did a phenomenal job, you know, President Winterstein of putting a vision, not just for football, just for man the student athlete piece of things I think when you go up to the third floor and you look at the student athlete uh, academic center you know what we've got the ability to do in terms of housing tutoring for all of our student athletes I think outstanding the nutrition piece on the fourth floor um, phenomenal you know what they were able to do there for all of our student athletes and I know right now it's just football as we're kind of opening and working out the kinks but you know I think soon be open to all of our student athletes and then you know I, I think you talk about even life after after athletics and certainly in the football world I've talked a lot about that in our own program and to be able to house all that in one place I, I do think that's been a huge commitment to us our program um, and, and I just think again student athletes want to see man what are you doing and what are you doing to put my experience as the best experience we possibly can have and I think anytime you can show a commitment from the athletic department from the university I, I think that's huge and so I, I just think sincere appreciation for my end um, you know really excited about what's opening up you know we're just kind of getting in here and getting used to it but uh, I think it's certainly been a huge benefit for our team already in a, in, in a short amount of time that we've been able to be here.
I don't know how much you followed this story, but I'm just interested to know your thoughts. Zeb Nolan's probably going to be the first guy to ever join a program as a graduate assistant and be the yeah. week one starting quarterback for yeah. South Carolina this yeah. week. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And then what do you think has allowed Zeb to be able to do something like that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm excited for Zeb. I, I knew Zeb was going to, you know, he had, he had texted me when he was going to go to South Carolina as a graduate assistant, which I thought, um, you know, I had met Coach Beamer um, right, right before the Big 12 championship game last year as he got named the, the head coach, I think, right before our game. And uh, felt like, man, what a neat guy and felt like he's going to do a great job. And for Zeb to be able to get his first experience going there as a coach, I thought would be really good for Zeb and to start his career. And, you know, I, I think circle back to what, what would allow Zeb to be successful. You know, I, I think Zeb coming from a coach's coaching family, you know, I think for Zeb, the ability to, man, he's already done that one time, you know, went to a great program around great quarterbacks, around a great football team, his ability to adapt. And, you know, I, I think I, if I read the story right there, there's an injury there to the guy that maybe was going to be the quarterback. And I, I'm sure Zeb's gone in there and been a huge ass in terms of helping the players prepare that, you know, I think it makes sense that, that this opportunity came his way and he was able to capitalize on it. So I'm excited for him. I, I, you know, I'm a big Zeb fan, you know, from recruiting him at the University of Toledo to recruiting him here, his family, what he's about, what he stands for. Zeb's a great kid and, you know, great for him. Hopefully he can do a great job for those guys. Matt, you mentioned the young receivers earlier. I'm curious what stood out about Jalen to, you know, allow him to make that too deep. Yeah, you know, I, I think very similar to some of the things that, that I talked about in J.R. Singleton's standpoint, the, the maturity and understanding of accountability to be your best day in and day out. And I think that's really hard for young guys to understand that. Um, you know, I think sometimes it's repetition in training age that allows great players to play great all the time. And yet, you know, from January to where we are today, I feel like Jalen's been on a mission to prove that he has that kind of maturity in our program. Um, his work ethic in, in the winter program was was exceptional. Um, what he did in spring was exceptional. His summer was exceptional. And, you know, that, that leads into fall camp where he had opportunities to prove what kind of football player he was. And I would say there were moments where he was exceptional there. And so, you know, I, I think he's really put him in, himself in a position to help our football team how much, which ways. You know, I think that'll be a growth process as the season grows, but uh, really exciting excited about Jalen, certainly what he stands for. What's your prep been for you and I like, given how disrupted their season was at FCS even more than you guys had, and then you know losing their OC a week before the year, which just been that dynamic been like? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing is is this, is what when, when I think you prepare for you and I, number one, I almost feel like in the spring season they had so many, so many challenges in terms of some injuries and whatever came their way that it was maybe a great benefit to them because they got to play a lot of guys and a lot of those guys played really good football. And to be honest with you, I think playing football games in the spring is probably going to allow them to get off to a really good start of playing football. It's not so long ago that they played in a football game, and you know I, I think. For me, when I, when you talk you and I, I always think of Coach Farley because I think one of the things that he has always done, and I talk about complimentary football, they do a phenomenal job of playing complimentary football. You know, every game that they play in seems, you know, right down to the wire. They always give themselves a chance to win. Their defense complements their offense. Their offense complements their defense, and they do a great job on special teams, making sure they don't make mistakes and, and give themselves a chance, especially with some dynamic playmakers at the returner positions for them. Um, so, you know, to me, I, I think no matter what's going to change schematically, it won't be far off because I think Coach Farley does such a great job of manipulating those pieces and putting his team in position to be successful. Do you need to remind guys of 2019 or are there enough yeah, I mean, to me, you know, you can talk, I think for us, and it's not even about a single team, I think it's 2020, 2019. You know, I don't think it's more so being prepared to play in the first game, but uh, but having a great respect for who you're playing. You know, I, I think you're talking about, again, a team that's very veteran, a team that's been highly successful. If you look at just their 2019 season, and I think, you know, the win-loss record of whatever the spring looked like was a, was a little bit skewed because of, you know, 
I think the uniqueness of the season. But man, I, I think you're talking about maybe one of the most veteran teams will play this fall in a team that's got dynamic playmakers at critical positions. And I think that's the thing that's been exciting for our kids because I think they they got their attention right away because of who is at those position groups and the wide receiver group, the defensive line group, the quarterback group. You know, there's there's some great players tailback. Um, you know, big time transfer there that that we know is a great player. So I think it'd be a really unique challenge for all of us. And you talked a little bit about that, Matt. I mean, obviously, your, your program under you, you guys seem to get better as the season goes on. But with this year's high expectations, high goals, how imperative is it to start out week one on a good note and at least put together something impressive that these guys can be proud about? Yeah, I, I'm not trying to impress anybody. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to get to, get to game one, play game one, see where we're at, and kind of see where this football team is. You know, and I, I think, again, that's, you know, to me, that's all stuff for you guys to talk about and write about and have fun with. But, you know, my end of it is, man, where are we? You know, and I'm really excited to play because I have always said the bright lights will tell you where you're at. And, you know, there's been times where we've been ready for the early start of the season. And maybe there's times where we thought we were ready, but maybe we weren't and so um, you know I, I think you diligently work really hard to try to put yourself and your team in the best position to, to get ready for the start of the season but uh, I'm excited for Saturday because I think it's a great challenge it's gonna be a great football game and you're gonna demand they're gonna demand that you be at your best and if you're not um, they'll be ready to beat you. Matt, how much do you put on Brock Purdy for play calling? I know he's evolved in his ability to read the defenses, that kind of thing. Then second part of that, how much do you think Kyle Kemp has maybe helped Brock really along the way into the senior year? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's certain times that, that we'll hand over some of those, some of those, um, you know, play calling opportunities or opportunity to maybe give him a play or two, and then then let him put us in the best play. Um, Kyle has been, you know, Coach Manning and I talked about Kyle a couple weeks ago as we were getting ready for fall camp. I mean, Kyle is on this trajectory, in my opinion, as a coach, as good as anybody that, that we have. I mean, he's brilliant. I think his ability to relate to the players has been so huge. You know, you talk even just Hunter, too. You know, Hunter's been able to go into the games. And, you know, when he got in last year, and I thought was really efficient. And I, so much credit, honestly. Coach Gordon does a great job. But to be able to have a guy like Kyle, who's played in the system, that understands it, then the emotions of it and then also man he's been the guy that had to be kind of waiting and he's also been the guy with all the pressure on his shoulders I just think his relatability to our players has been really special and to have him in our program I think it's been huge for all of us I think he's a calming force on the sidelines I think he's got the ability to relate to our offense and to certainly our quarterbacks why coach Gordon and coach Manning are up in the box and um, I think he brings a I think if you guys know Kyle he's got a very mild manner demeanor about himself he's always home and he's always right here and you know he helps me be right there you know sometimes which is which is nice I, sometimes I can look at Kyle and he can bring me back to kind of where I need to be so you know Kyle's done a phenomenal job really I do think he's had a great impact on Brock I think he's had a great impact on our quarterback room and I think he's certainly had a great impact in our program as a coach. Matt you opened fall camp and said that this team was well over 90 percent vaccinated and you hoped by the opener that they would be close to that 100 percent are you there yet and I guess what was your message to the team to get to that point? Yeah I don't know if I had a message to get to that point other than you know again I, I know I talked about at the beginning I think our our job is to just continue to try to try to you know give our young men the best information of how to keep them safe how to help themselves moving forward and you know that's really you know our job in terms of a teaching aspect of it but you know again I let all of our guys make the best decision for them and their family and you know are we closer to it I think we're a little bit closer to it are we 100 percent we're not but um, you know those are all things where we'll just continue to handle those situations as they come week in and week out for us. Matt, when you uh, look back at the offseason and everything you did last year, did, did it feel like it took a while to get to this point? Did, did, how does the offseason kind of feel to you year in and year out? Does it change? Yeah, I think every year is a little bit different. You know, I, I to me, it's been there's been so much change in this offseason for us. And I think the uniqueness of like the challenges for myself and maybe our staff and everybody, you know, in the program in terms of, geez, how do we how do we find the inches and the growth that we need to make in our program? And it's going to create a, all of us to do some things differently. Um, I, I, I think that that almost there was a great enjoyment of change and kind of got us out of our comfort zone, I think really forced us to, to uniquely 
really learn and do different things and, and really do it in the best benefit of, man, we're doing everything in our power to put our kids in the best position to be successful, all of our kids. And um, so, you know, I, I think this has been one of those off seasons that it doesn't feel like it flew by and it certainly doesn't felt like it dragged by. You know, it's kind of almost enjoyable to kind of go through each block knowing that it was a little bit different and, and a great challenge for all of us. Is that something that I think there, I, I think that first season it felt like we needed about another two years before we got on the football field. So I, I think that one went really fast. There's a lot of places where big schools would probably be hesitant to play an FCS opponent that has been as good as what UNI has for as long as they have. Why is this game important to play? Not just for, you know, because obviously it's the first game, but for the state of Iowa and for football in the state. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really good question, too. I think, you know, just being in this state now five, six years, and you, I think you understand the the players in this state of all, you know, especially the, the three schools that play Division One football, um, you know, gosh, it means something. And and I think, you know, those they're highly competitive games. You want to play games where, man, it means something, and there's, there's something on the line, especially, you know, for us, geez, you play in a conference where every game you got to have it on the line. And and so I think when when you have such a rivalry that that comes with these in-state games, it, it, it forces you that Zoom focus that you actually get in conference play, and it makes you be your best from the beginning of the season on, because you know you're going to get the best shot no matter what in-state team you're going to play. They everybody wants to win that game because there's so much on the line. So to me, I, I do think it, it makes it number one, it makes it unique. Number two, I think it makes it really special, and you know, especially when you play a program that has had elite success, um, you know, it, it forces you to play your A game right away. And, and I've said that in this conference, if you play your B or C game here, you're going to get beat. If you play your B or C game in this con in these rivalry games, you're going to get yourself beat. Coach, what have you seen from the special teams unit, specifically a, a kickoff coverage, punt coverage, and just the kicking game in general? Um, yeah, I, you know, I think they, they've done a really good job so far. You know, we'll, we'll see on Saturday, you know, where we're at. I, again, I think those are things that, man, it's easy to sit up here and say, man, I feel great about it or I feel bad about it. But the lights will be on Saturday at 3.30 and then maybe ask me that question afterwards. Hopefully I'll have a good answer. We have time for one more question for Coach. Coach, for a guy like Greg Eisworth, uh, six-year senior, you know, been through a lot, what's it like for the staff and this team to see him get the senior year that maybe he deserved with COVID last year? Yeah, I think for all those guys, you know, I, I, that that's that senior class that came back here, you know, you talk about Chase and Greg and any, you know, those are guys that have we wouldn't be where we are today without those players. And, you know, I, I think really for all of those guys, and I think if you dive into their own story, they've had they've missed all seasons where they didn't get to train. Um, maybe it's because of injury, different things that have happened to all those guys. And to watch them use January, February, March, April, to watch them be able to train all off season, to be able to, to move into this facility in June, late, you know, late June, early July, and be able to have, man, a, a first class training table for them. You know, I have a great locker room. To me, that's that's special because one thing that they've done is they've done a great job of using using the weight room, using the, the training table, using those things to their benefit to become the best version of themselves they can be. So I'm really excited because I think not only did they use it the right way, um, they've really been able to have a great advantage in terms of understanding why, you know, their time is short and it's it's running out, why it's so critical to use it. And I think it had a huge impact on the rest of our, our players, to be honest with you. So without those guys, you know, we wouldn't be here and really proud of really what they've done even with this team, because I think their leadership from January on has really transcended through all of the rest of our young guys in our program. All right, thanks, Joe. All right guys, thank you.